Welcome to Talking Change. Today we're looking at a project the Collaborative Leadership Initiative is currently working on in partnership with the South Basin Mayors and Reeves. The Collaborative Leadership Initiative is a partnership between the Chiefs of the Southern Chiefs Organization and the Mayors and Reeves of the WMR. Since 2017, CLI leaders have been working through a process of reconciliation facilitated by the Center for Indigenous Environmental Resources. The leaders have identified the protection of clean water, waste management, increasing economic opportunities, and good jobs as potential areas for collaborative action. The priorities identified by the CLI leaders also aligned with several of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, including SDG 15, Life on Land, which addresses the need to manage and protect forests and land from degradation and loss of biodiversity. Here with us today is Steve Strang, the Manitoba Director for the Red River Basin Commission, to tell us more about the Netley Marsh Restoration Project. So hey Steve, it's great to have you here today. Do you mind yeah, telling me you. a little bit? Uh, do you mind telling me a little bit about the uh, Red River Basin Commission and what you do? Well, first of all, before we jump into that, I just want to just tack on a little bit of history. Um, as I was the mayor of Saint Clements during that time, and I was working on those issues, I actually was the one who initiated the South Basin Mayors and Reefs through a meeting uh, with one of the ministers. Um, at that time, it was the NDP government that was uh, in there, Christine Melnick. She was the minister. And the issues actually that came forward was that regarding Devil's Lake in the U.S. So from there, we continued to work forward. She helped us develop a committee, and that was the birth of the South Basin Mares and Reefs. So, you know, interesting history there. And I was glad that I'm part of it. And I'm certainly happy to see that the existence is still there and they're still promoting what we have as far as lake friendly and so on. Education is a key part of what needs to have, be happening uh, in our world today, that people better understand that their actions have consequences. So the, the Red River Basin Commission itself has been around for over probably 40 years now. And it started as a grassroots organization where um, local level leaders, municipalities and counties wanted to uh, get together. They were frustrated with the results that were coming up, uh, coming out of upper level government. And they wanted to come together, put the politics aside and start working on issues that they were facing. And uh, hence, uh, I believe it all started off the organization at that time was called TIC. Don't ask me what that stands for because I don't recall. But, you know, the evolution of it became the Red River Basin. And here we are today. And we are an organization with 44 members strong. They have something called the Natural Resource Framework Plan, which points out 13 uh, topics which we work toward. And it's amazing group. You know, we try to keep the politics out of things. We focus on things that are important. And uh, for us ourselves, we have become the glue that keeps everybody together. Uh, we're able to focus in on topics. We're able to seek solutions in ways that doesn't seem to be able to come about from other, other places. Um, we are, uh, our members come from a bureaucratic level and an elected level, at large level, and Indigenous so, you know, we're very pleased that we have a well-rounded group of people that can focus on topics that will come up with successes which address the issues of water management and water quality. And that's what the basin's all about. Hey, thank you. Also, thank you for that history. It was, it was great to learn a little bit about that. Uh, do you mind telling me about the collaboration between the U.S. and Canada on this basin, as well as the cooperative approach to a water management that you take? Yeah, well... Um, the Basin takes an approach that there are no borders. The executive director um, can be from either side. Um, presently, the executive director is Ted Preister. He works out of the Fargo office. I'm deemed to be the, um, I, I manage the Winnipeg office. Um, you know, we, 
as we're able to work forward and we are able to come to the conclusion, there is no border between this office. It is one office focused on one result. If uh, things such as our annual conference, it, it's held on either side of the border, um, there is no differentiation. And, and again, when this first started, the history of the organization, where the two sides of the board are coming together to focus on one topic and the basin has stayed with that from the beginning. So there is no difference. Sometimes the topics may be one that aren't totally united. And what I mean by that, maybe the topic is more of a U.S. or more of a Manitoba focus, but uh, collectively um, any win for water is a win for all of us. I agree. Um, now, just looking like at the uh, commission itself, do you mind telling me how the um, commission recognizes and includes Indigenous culture as well as perspective? Well, there's always been uh, an Indigenous uh, seat sitting at the base. And actually, there's there's three seats that are sitting there for Indigenous members. Um, you know, in all honesty, sometimes they're hard to fill, right? And um, depending on what's going on within the communities, because, you know, travel, but for the most part right now, like we've been working with the Southern Chiefs organization as Winnipeg Metro does, but we also have other close relationships with Peg with First Nations, with uh, Broken Head, and with a little bit with Say King. And I know all the chiefs personally, when I was mayor of St. Clements, I had a strong relationship with Chief Glenn Hudson, who is still the chief of Pegos First Nations. And, and you know, it, it is Bill being able to collectively come together. And what I'm finding is that every year, our relationship of trust and understanding is getting stronger. And I think that's, that's the difference here where society is, the focus in society is different to that of the focus of our Indigenous communities. And our Indigenous communities, they, they work around the importance of respect and understanding, where that's not necessarily the way it is in our world today, where we're often focused on the idea of profit and moving forward. And quite frankly, I prefer the stance of our Indigenous leaders versus our, our present day due to the fact that, you know, they give consideration to the environment and seven generations ahead of them. And when we do that, we understand no matter what we do has a cost. And it will be the First Nations who lead the understanding of the fact that there is a cost when we take from the environment. And we need to recognize that. So a little bit off topic there, because you asked me about their placement. I think that we will collectively work together. We've continued to build that trust. I've made a big effort since I've been in for the last six years to take that even further. And I'm pleased to say, like today, I was on the phone this morning with Mike Sutherland, who is the executive director for Pegos First Nations. And we talked for an hour. You know, I deem him not only to be the executive director, but I deem him as, as a friend where I can talk to him at a level and, and, and we have respect for one another for what we do. And I, and I think that's pretty rare. And I think that's what the Basin does. And it is important for us to have that perspective of First Nations at the table because society doesn't look at it that way all the time. And we need to start doing more of that. Definitely. Thanks for letting me know about those uh, connections that you have there. Um, so I see that the uh, Red River Basin Commission is currently involved with several important projects, but do you mind telling me about the Netley Marsh Restoration Project? Sure. Well, a little bit of history. So as I was engaging with the Southern Chiefs and Grand Chief Jerry Daniels and especially Chief Hudson, who's really been outstanding and leading on this. Uh, we were on the radio yesterday on CJOB and, and Chief Hudson was on. And um, well, this is traditional lands for Pegasus First Nation. And a lot of people don't know that history. Were they actually the Pegasus people farmed all along the Red River in St. Peter's after they were pushed off their lands? 
and they were put down to uh, onto St. Peter's Road. And then the greed of the day pushed them even further out to the community of Peglis, which is really wrong because, you know, they're very uh, proud farming community people who were doing really well for themselves. And, and it was the greed that pushed them out of there. So, I mean, this is... Pegasus lands and Natalie Marsh is a place of gathering for all First Nations, not only just Pegasus, it was Broken Hills as well, and sometimes Say King, because the marshes, when they are, are healthy and they have their fauna and the flora, uh, give an opportunity to harvest. And um, the First Nations use those lands for that purpose. As we started to talk about that and work with the First Nations community, particularly that of Pegasus, we realized that the Natalie Marsh. And it's just not the First Nations people. It's come from all the local people that have been there all this time. The marsh is devastated. It's It's been manipulated by by um, human interference or human manipulation. Uh, things like the cut going in. Things like we drain our wetlands from everywhere else across the prairies. And that water hits the ditches faster, which are nutrient loaded. And you know that. And they make it to our streams and to our rivers and eventually to our lake. And, and the health of that wetlands is so important to the lake. And as we noticed it was deteriorating so rapidly, we collectively agreed together as a group that we needed to do something about that. In 2018, we had an event at a Red River Basin conference called the Spirit of Water, where we had probably about 25 or 30 First Nation chiefs sitting in the meeting we had um, Chief Hudson, the Grand Chief Jerry Daniels, Chief Jim Bear at the time was Chief of Brokenhead. Everybody was invited. The Métis governance was invited. Uh, but it was the first time ever that federal, provincial, city, Mayor, Mayor Bowman was there. All these leaders, and these were ministers, okay? And they all came to one table with the First Nations chiefs to talk about the spirit of water. What's important? How do we collectively work together on that governance? So we all agree that we had to do more together to fix these problems such as the Natalie Marsh. And from there, we went and had another conference because they wanted to include that. Because So we're talking today about the Red River Basin, but we are only one basin within the entire Lake Winnipeg Basin, which takes in four states and four provinces. So we had a four-state and four-province conference where we gathered almost 300 people together in Winnipeg to talk about the importance of water governance and the need of having First Nations involved. And from that, that continued to escalate to say, we need to do something collectively together and we need to save this marsh. And that's kind of the history on how the Natalie Marsh project started. We worked together collectively with elected officials, with First Nations leaders, coming together to an understanding that I think Chief Colbinus from Ontario said it the best, uh, you will not do this without us. We need to do this together. And um, yeah, that's how the Marsh started. We recognize the deterioration that was coming from all these different sources. It has been all these different things that have come together, which have deteriorated this marsh to the point now where, and one of those things were the cut, the cut, where at one point the cut was utilized to drain the water out of the marsh, but now with the water events and the manipulation of the water by humans, it has changed that to where the cut now is much wider than the, the width of the river. And that during spring melt, because we break our ice straight to the cut, we force our water into the marsh. We're flooding the marsh. I'm not proud of that either because I was part of that. It's the beginning of that project as well. We, we force more than 50% of the Red River into the marsh. And, and these are all the factors that create this deterioration. And this is what we're focusing on trying to find a resolve for where everybody benefits, but nobody loses.
So very long answer to a little question, sorry, but. Oh, that's perfect. Thank you. I, it was really interesting learning about that collaboration and, and what you were doing to uh, move forward. In your opinion, what, uh, why is this an important project? Well, climate change is a reality. Um, it's a reality. So what's happening here is that this heat is getting into the lake and we're, because our waters are nutrient rich, we're seeing these, these, these uh, increases of algae blooms. Um, that marsh is mother nature's way of filtering the water to take those nutrient rich waters and reduce the level of, of phosphates within that system. The fauna and flora of the marsh is remarkable. It helps us and supports our fish population by having a place for the little fish and little frylings to hide. It uh, allows the birds a place to nest and feed. They feed on the little frylings, you know, and with everything of the fauna and the flora it brings all the wildlife in. And then at the same time, here we are with all these great gifts that the creator or mother nature has given us and it allows us to clean the lake. But because we've manipulated this so badly, we were left with nothing but a muddy hole. And how do we fix this? We need to bring that back. There is the potential with a healthy marsh to take more of the nutrient load out than the city of Brandon, Winnipeg, and Selkirk are putting in through the treatment plants. If we've created the damage, why aren't we going to fix it? We need to take care of this lake because all the good or the marsh because of all the goodness it will give to the lake and to all the other things that are positively affected by it. Once this uh, project is completed, like how can we ensure that the deterioration doesn't happen again? Well, the deterioration is there, you know, so we've gone through the licensing and kind of were given that question, you know, what if it doesn't happen? Well, you know, the worst case scenario is this, we got a muddy shallow lake that used to be a marsh. If this project failed and we know it's not going to fail and I'll explain more of that later. What are we left with? We're left with a, a muddy, shallow marsh, lake, okay? So it's not going to make it any worse. But the importance of knowing that it's going to this this is simplicity at its best. And we see it working right now. So this year, as we go into a couple years of drought, we see the lake level two feet below average level or the license level of 715 feet. And I'm still an old guy, so I'm using feet, not metric. Forgive me, guys. And what are we seeing? We're seeing Mother Nature fix this by herself. She's starting to go into areas where the water has always been too deep for vegetation. Those areas are now becoming uh, not totally dry, but dry or six or eight inches of water on there. And that vegetation is start growing. And it's amazing. We're, we've been out every, almost once a week documenting this. We take out drones. We, people are, are out there in their, their uh, boats and they're taking pictures. Mother Nature is fixing herself. She just needs a little bit of help here. The simple solution of elevating the bottom of the marsh to bring it to a level where vegetation can grab on and grow has been successful in Texas, uh, in, in the Florida Keys, um, and in Louisiana. And they were renewing presently all their coastal wetland. Louisiana, after the flood, committed about a billion dollars into wetland renewal. And they're starting to spend like millions and millions of dollars on reclaiming their wetlands because they understand the value of it. And they also understand the multi-benefit that has come out of that. The only reason that we're doing this Nutley Marsh Renewal as a pilot project, a proof of concept, is because there's a difference in climate. So what we want to do is say, if we spend X amount of dollars, this is what we're going to get out of it. Is there value to that? And um, there's no doubt I am. So the insurance of the fact that it's going to be there, once you elevate the bottom of the marsh to a level where vegetation will grow, giving consideration to the high watermark, which they deem, the federal government deem at 714.7 feet, 
then we will constantly see marsh growth. And as long as we continue to do that, we'll constantly see it. And eventually we'll elevate the bottom of the marsh to what it once existed. And that was, this used to be a beautiful Hemi marsh. Hemi is half water, half vegetation or half land. And there's no doubt in our mind that we will be able to store this gift to back to what it once was. But it took how many years to destroy it? It's going to take many years to replenish it. We can only do so much a year under a controlled budget. For sure. Thank you for uh, breaking down like the simplicity of the project. It's, that was great to hear. Uh, just the last question. So the United Nations uh, Sustainable Development Goals and the UN SDG 15 sets our global action on protecting and restoring life on land. So I just want to know how this project protects and restores ecosystems as set out in that goal. I think it's a basic thing. I, I said a little bit earlier, you know, as a society, we have to understand every action that we do creates reactions. And, and the actions of manipulating the marsh and the waters has created reactions which have been negative to the marsh, right? You know, we basically flooded it out and we made it disappear. And um, restoring that will bring so much back. So we have a responsibility if we take from Mother Nature, we must give back to Mother Nature. There is a cost that we don't, we're not putting value on our natural resources the way we should. So if we take, we got to start giving back. And I think that's similar to what they're saying, you know, how do we, how do we do that? And how do we guarantee it? We have to, we, we will do it by recognizing there's a problem, by understanding that what I said, just said that if we take, we must give back. And the fact of if we are taking and we're giving back, we must try to restore what it once was. Uh, I mentioned this also earlier, you know, my education was the First Nations belief, uh, the elders say we must be respectful for seven generations. And I think that we need to start looking at the fact that it's not all about profits. It's not all about, it shouldn't be allowed to be about greed. It should be about what's best for society and the ability for us to sustain ourselves and our future generations. I will be 60 years old next year. I have three kids and I wish them a better world than what we're building them right now. Yeah, that was, that was a perfect answer. Thank you for that. Yeah, that's, uh, that's all I have. So thank you so much for your time. And it was, this was very informative. Yeah, yeah. Well, you're welcome. And um, I'm, I'm always here to help. I mean, that's what we're all about. Um, partnership will create many solutions for all of us. We need to work together, including the Red River Basin, including Winnipeg Metro. We must come together, work together, and seek solutions together. Have a good one, sir. You too. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for listening to Talking Change. On the next episode, we'll be talking to Laren Bill, Chairperson at Implementation Monitoring Committee, who has helped lead meetings, guide understanding, and provide insight and support to the Collaborative Leadership Initiative. Until then, thanks for joining us.